Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary... What's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Welcome to a special episode of From Scratch, a podcast about food and cooking. My name is Michael Ruhlman, and I write about food, cooking, and the work of the professional chef. In each episode, I speak with one chef and one non-chef about the same theme in order to connect this fundamentally human act with the world at large. But COVID-19 has prevented chefs from doing their jobs and running their restaurants, at least in the way they'd always been accustomed. In these special episodes, I'm connecting with chefs to see how they are doing and find out what they are doing in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Today, I speak with journalist Zachary Warmbrot, who covers financial services for Politico, and Georgia chef Hugh Atchison. Hugh is the chef owner of Five and Ten in Athens, Georgia, and Empire State South and By George, both in Atlanta. His first cookbook, A New Turn in the South, Southern Flavors Reinvented for Your Kitchen, won the James Beard Award for Best Cookbook in the American Cooking category in 2012. He won a Food and Wine Best New Chef Award, a Best Chef Southeast Beard Award, competed on Top Chef, and he is the host of the podcast, The Passenger with Hugh Atchison on iHeartRadio. And according to his website, he is, at his home in Athens, simply the guy who owns those restaurants, has one eyebrow, and two daughters, who are the apple of his eye. Give us an overview of your world before COVID-19 struck and isolation was required and after. You know, I mean, I had a lot of 
travel slated for this month. Music festival in Boise, Idaho that I always go to uh, and I cook at. And it's a wonderful festival. And so I'm missing that. Still running my restaurants, but we've definitely closed them all. But I'm running except for to-go food at Empire State South in Atlanta. And then 5 and 10, my restaurant in Athens, Georgia, the original one, will we'll start doing some limited to-go food this week. Um, you know, and then just writing deadlines and stuff like that, with which, like you, I can do from the comfort of my home in my underwear. But <laughs> this is definitely, uh, you know, having to lay off over 100 people, having to figure out how to make ends meet, doing uh, what I call, you know, uh, all-time Olympic hustling to make uh, make ends meet and figure it out, and it's not easy. And then, you know, we're we're now in a point of interpretation of everything that's happening and trying to figure out what these loans mean. And you know, so it's it's just a difficult time for smaller operators. Um, I think it's a difficult time for everyone. I, I equate it always to that we're all feeling this, but restaurants just felt it first. We just got mauled first. Yeah. Um, and and so it's that just takes a little while to sink in and figure out. And unfortunately, now comes the level of depression and anxiety, not necessarily for me personally. That, that, that affects me a little bit, too. But a lot of people are going to feel very helpless, whether it's our employees or whether it's people in ancillary industries to ours and whether it's chefs and restaurateurs. We, we know that people go through that. And that's really difficult to, to sit around and uh, – and feel helpless that you can't really provide the solace those people need. How many employees did you have? How many of you laid off? Laid off over a hundred, and uh, we still have about ten on sort of uh, sa- slightly mitigated or slightly um, depreciated salaries based on them mm-hmm. not working as much. And but you know, I've got a really dedicated crew. I want these people back. And of course, um, at, at this point, the big difficulty is that well, I mean, we'll get them back, and I want to get them back based on saying that I, I'm a good employer and we provide a really good atmosphere. But in a lot of instances, we'll get them back because there'll be no other jobs. And, you know, Colicchio, Tom Colicchio was, was famous in the beginning of this and saying 75% of restaurants only are open. Well, he changed tune a little bit with the bailout money and, and the CARES Act being passed. And he's trying to be a cheerleader. But, you know, in reading more into it, I literally think that at least a third of the restaurants will never reopen again. And that may be because of financial hardship, but it also might be, you know, you see a lot of people just throwing in the towel. You know, Gotham in New York threw in the towel. And they threw in the towel because they had to close because of COVID. But they also threw in the towel that they'd been through 9-11. They knew how this affected people. They know how hard it is to reopen in a business that's already unduly hard. But we love the heart of it. But, you know, this is, not, this is not what we signed up for. This is not the stress of service and how we deal with it with a smile. This is a pandemic, and uh, we're, we're feeling it like everybody else now. Yeah, I want to know, you business owner, chef, employer, what are your three concerns in order of importance? My biggest concern is parsing through the feelings that I have of always being a provider and an employer and suddenly being struck with an inability to be so. Um, Mm. I can win a lot of awards. I can do really well in this business and succeed in everybody's eyes. But the biggest success I'll have ever is to be a good employer. 
And so when you rip the rug out from under me, it just uh, it affects everything I do, and it's really hard to overcome. I think second to that, um, but but it's definitely second is to make sure that my my friends and my family and everyone around me and my neighbors are checked on and nourished in this because I think it's so important. But it's, it has to be a safe way of doing that. And third is the economic viability of my future and those people who put their trust in me to put a paycheck in their hands because of their amazing hard work and honest ethic and professionalism in life that I so treasure in them. Uh, And they've given me their all, and uh, we're going to rebuild it for them and myself. A few days ago, you tweeted yourself this. Dread has set in. When did you tweet that and why? Well, you know, I tweeted that because there was a lot of hope around the the bailout ideas. And, you know, people who are very dear to me in the chef community were really uh, saying that this was going to be a good thing. It was going to be a good lifeline. And I started reading more into it. And maybe I'm the naysayer, son of an economist. And maybe I just don't want more debt on my shoulders. But it's a pretty dicey scenario and and you know there's not a lot of excess money in there when you're it's really to me it's kind of a shell game it's to get people off unemployment insurance which is great the markets want that we want to look at things and have it be look a little better than maybe it is but you know it gives us 10 weeks of payroll um it's maybe forgivable, maybe mostly forgivable. The first interest rates were 0.5. Now it goes to the bank at like 11 o'clock last night when it's supposed to be live today. Suddenly the interest rates are one, maybe higher. There's a point that they can kick them up higher. We don't understand how much is forgivable. So you are getting loans? Uh, we will apply for PPP, which is the payroll protection plan through the SBA, which is administered by your, your local bank or your larger local bank to assist us in getting back open again. You know, the problem with restaurants is, you know this, I mean, we're just, we're, we're small. Um, we just don't make a ton of money. Some people do in this business, but no, I but no, you're small. You're small, and you rely on cash flow. That's what you. you well, yeah, exactly. So you know, everybody immediately said, "Well, you know, I can do so much business in to-go food. We'll meet a need. It'll feel good for our people." And you know, sometimes we can't provide safety on that measure. And then the other thing is, it's you're going to be compensated ten percent of what your usual haul is. There's no way possible to keep everybody on a payroll and not get them furloughed. Um, We want to make it a lifeline to our people. We want to make sure they're taken care of. But in this instance, we're just kind of helpless. You know, the average small business has 27 days of of possibility in their bank account if they shut their doors. I would say most restaurants have about 10. I found this whole paycheck protection program you talked about confusing. So I spoke with Zachary Warmbrot, a reporter for Politico covering the subject. Find him also on Twitter, where, under his first name, at Zachary, he makes up-to-the-minute reports. Warmbrot spoke to me by phone from Washington, D.C. I began by asking him to explain how the Paycheck Protection Program has been going. So the Paycheck Protection Program launched April 3rd, and it's been a pretty rocky rollout since then. The way it's structured is the uh, private banks are the ones who actually issue these loans. 
that are backed by the government and which can be forgiven if uh, a small business is willing to maintain its payroll. Because the whole idea behind the program is that, you know, maybe there's a way to delay mass layoffs across the country if there is some incentive for small businesses to maintain their payroll. And the businesses that are supposed to be eligible for this program are ones that have fewer than 500 employees, and you can get a loan up to uh, $10 million. And 75% of the forgiven amount has to go to payroll, but you can use part, the rest of the money also for other expenses like mortgages and rent and utilities. When is this money going to be available? Do you have any idea? It, it launched April 3rd, but banks have had a lot of trouble implementing the program. Um, they said that they had a lack of guidance from the Trump administration. Um, like They only got the rules for how to run the program the night before they were supposed to kick it off. And so banks have been taking applications to varying degrees. Some banks have, some banks haven't. And it's unclear how many businesses have actually started to receive the funds just because there's been so many operational problems. So not just questions about how to run the program, but just, you know, there's a, there's a small business administration system that's been crashing that banks have to use to, to authorize these government-backed loans. And that's been getting clogged up and has been unstable. So right now, in the first week of this program, I mean, anecdotally, banks and their lobbyists are saying some people are actually getting money from this, but I, I highly doubt it's been widespread. I think that will probably change in the coming days. And right now, uh, the total amount that Congress has allocated, allocated for the kickoff of the program is $350 billion. And the banks are saying the demand is already really high. And so I would expect that money to be depleted relatively quickly. So you will soon start to see some of this, this loan money start going to small businesses. Uh, in the most simplistic terms, the idea would be that the federal government would give all this money to the various banks. The banks would then channel it to the business owners. Is that correct? The way it's structured is so that the banks are actually initially loaning out their own money with the understanding that this is a, a government guaranteed loan and that it will be forgiven. So I think part of the reticence by the banks initially to do this guns blazing without all of the rules was that they were worried about what risk they would be exposed to by putting this money out. I've spoken with a lot of chefs who are concerned that they and other small business owners are just accruing more debt with this program. Is that the case? So the way the um, program is structured is that it's eventually supposed to pan out for borrowers as something more like a grant. And I know that Sounds very daunting to small business owners. I mean, I have small business people in my own family who, when I first told them about this program, their first reaction was, I'm debt free. Why would I want to take on more loans? But I think the way that it's, it's structured is that people really should kind of look at it like a grant. So if you apply for this loan and you receive it and you maintain your, your payroll for eight weeks, you'll be eligible for the, the loan to be forgiven. And there are some limits on that. 75% of the loan amount at least must go towards payroll, although you can use the amount for the, the amount of the loan for other things like rent and utilities. But I think that is a, a very well-known concern about uh, businesses being reticent to take the loans because they don't want to incur more debt. Okay, well then I guess we're going to wait and see. What would you expect in terms of the reopening of restaurants specifically? given the current financial situation. One chef said to me, we may be looking at only chains, uh, that all small independent restaurants may not be able to open. How dire do you think the situation is for independent restaurants? I think it's very difficult. I think you will see some talk 
in the coming days about whether it's appropriate to start reopening the economy in May. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin just this morning said he thought that was a possibility, but other medical experts and officials are, are very cautious. And I think it is just going to be a very difficult you know, set of months here for independent restaurants. And I, I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it. And so that's why I think programs like the Pay- Paycheck Protection Program could go a long way to bridge the gap between today and whatever the date is the economy may start to reopen. When it reopens, it may also be very gradual and people may be a little skittish to go out and spend money and and be in a restaurant with a bunch of other people. So it's not like it'll be a, a light switch either. But I will say for restaurants, I mean, we are seeing the government announce more programs aimed at small businesses. The Federal Reserve this morning announced something called the Main Street Lending Program, which is another way the government is going to try to funnel money through the banks to small businesses. So I I think that at least Washington is is very aware of the struggles of restaurants and other small businesses, and they're, they're going to keep trying to come up with ways to try to bridge the financial situation for these for these companies, and yet it still seems everyone still seems hampered by a, a lack of organization and an understanding of how things are actually working. That's absolutely the case. You know, it was advertised as something that would be kind of like rapid relief to businesses, and it hasn't panned out that way yet. But I think as people work out the kinks of these things, it should probably get better. It's just you know, people were moving so quickly in the last few weeks to try to come up with ideas to tr- keep the economy afloat. And and now we're actually seeing how, how people are trying to work out the kinks of these proposals. And better to work out the kinks than to rely on our Treasury Secretary's optimistic comments today about reopening the economy in May, today being April 9th. You don't hold out much hope for that. I would say, I think we, we immediately wrote up his comment just because it, it seemed pretty surprising to hear him say that, that it would be coming so soon. And I will say, right after he spoke, the, the Federal Reserve Chair Chairman Jay Powell appeared at a different event and was asked about Mnuchin's comments. And he didn't directly weigh in on them one way or the other, but it was pretty clear listening to the Fed chairman that he's believed this was going to be a much more gradual process. And he believes that the risk is really great if we reopen too quickly and there's another outbreak. You know, that could just set everyone back to square one, you know, including restaurants that are struggling here. Right. Zachary, I really appreciate your time to talk about these issues. Thank you so much and keep up the great reporting. All right. Thank you so much for having me. When we come back, Chef Atchison will describe how he's been adapting to isolation and, of course, how and what he's been cooking. everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss. 
a common mistake that a lot of people do. They use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back to my conversation with Hugh Atchison, who told us about what he's doing in his community and how he's cooking. How has this isolation affected you personally? How do you cook? How do you share meals in a time of isolation? There's definitely a lot of cooking going on, and there's a lot of checking on my neighbors. I have a a very dear older woman who I didn't really know that well before all this, but she lives right across the street. We knew each other by the wave, and now I check on her every other day to make sure she, if I'm going out, I can get her something, that I, I do that, and make sure she's got something, and if she needs food, that she knows who I am and what I do, and uh, that I can be a provider. I don't think she knows me from Adam, which is great. Uh, I just want her to know that I'm a chef and can do this and can provide for her, and she's taken me up on it a couple of times. To my other side is an amazingly interesting guy who's very quiet, but he's a grad, he's a PhD student at the University of Georgia, but he's from China, and he's very, he's a loner. He does his own thing. He's not a big communicator, but I slide notes under his door and make sure he's taken care of. And in the event of anything, he can, um, I've pointed to where the extra water is and bleaches in the garage. And he's, that's all free for the taking. So, you know, it's just, we're just trying to do things. Um, most uplifting, I think, in your and I's world is to uh, go to the grocery store and go down the dried bean aisle and see it totally empty. <laughs> I had no idea America, I had no idea that America knew how to do this. And it makes me proud, God damn it. You're talking to Jose Andres the other day. He's like, and even he didn't believe this, but he was like, you know, you give, you give 10 pounds of lentils to a woman in Italy with a hammock. She makes food for 200. And, and I'm like, yeah, I know. And we don't really have that here. But you know what? I, I think we do. I, I think that um, between, you know, all of our cookbooks and the New York Times food section, I mean, this, this, Allison Roman is raising a Roman army right now uh, <laughs> of of minced up anchovies, and and it's great, you know. It, it, so that's a lovely thing that people are that they're keenly understanding right now. 
the real amazing difference and that the chasm that exists between basic nutrition and nourishment. And nourishment is what we need right now. And that's what food can provide around the family table and that it doesn't have to be a necessity. It is a thing that nourishes and shows love and care and sustenance beyond nutrition. Absolutely. Now tell me, what are you cooking for your family? What do you like to cook in these days? Um, you know, the girls came over the other day and I made a roasted chicken with beautiful, simple Southern pan gravy and Carolina gold rice and clementine. My youngest had requested a salad on the side. So I made uh, shaved cucumbers and fennel marinated for a while, while with Meyer lemon juice and olive oil and pulled dill um, and then added tomatoes and avocado at the last second of that with some bib lettuce and just tossed that lightly. I've been making a lot of pozole. Uh, I, I've been making a lot of sort of variations on sort of higher end ramens using instant ramen, but then you can gussy it up with so many things and that's oh, yeah. fine. I yeah. mean, there's nourishment can come from every angle right now and I just want to make sure that America understands that there's food beyond the Chick-fil-A and, and beyond the McDonald's <laughs> Happy Meal and, and that you can easily do it and nobody's watching you, you know, but but it's so much fun to make a recipe from scratch. So, you know, right now I've got a massive corned beef on day seven of brine, so I'll probably cook that tomorrow or the next day. Um, nice. I got to do that too. That's a great idea. I, I mean, it's just some beef. Yeah. It's just food that can last you a long time because, you know, you're going to get it out. You're going to eat beautiful Rubens and you're going to make red flannel hash and all this other stuff. And it's versatile. You take it apart, you freeze it in different ways and you got it ready to go. So, you know, things like that are just so much fun and, and, and good recipes to do. What do you recommend to people at home who aren't natural cooks, um, but want to and have to now, how do you tell them to cook? What do you advise them to do? I advise them to learn technique. And I think that what technique does and what recipes that have atomizable content within them. You find a great recipe and you understand that the Zuni roasted chicken recipe is a seminal recipe. It doesn't need to be followed to a T because what it's doing is it's teaching you about pre-salting um, and dry brining uh, over the course of 12 to 24 hours. It's teaching you about high heat roasting and the development of that really crisp skin because the extraction of the water from the salt over the dry brining process. And so then what if you can take that and do it with quail or just chicken thighs and you look in your fridge and you've got something totally different than Judy calls for in that recipe. But I always tell people that cooking to me is like, it's like a Lego set and techniques are the little basic blocks of it. And you and I just have a bigger Lego set than most people do. But that doesn't mean that you can't get the skills of 12 things and then be able to build umpteen different amazing dishes based on it. If you know how to roast a chicken, if you know how to make a vinaigrette based on a ratio recipe, there's some guy who wrote this great ratio book years ago, and I think it was you, <laughs> um, and how to roast carrots and how to make a proper simple salad, how to make mayonnaise from scratch, how to cook Brussels sprouts that even, you know, chefs didn't know how to do 25 years ago, but has changed the landscape. You know, if you know those individual things, you can make a gazillion different dishes. I couldn't have said it better. I'm so glad you mentioned Judy Rogers' uh, famous Zuni Kitchen. I recommend that cookbook. It's one of the great, I recommend it to everybody, and I think it's one of the great cookbooks of all time. She wrote it herself. She was a brilliant writer, a brilliant chef. We lost her too early. Um, and you're right, so many lessons just in that one uh, roast chicken. 
Last thing I want to talk to you about is on Thursdays, you're giving out free food to families and kids who aren't getting school and lunches. Is that is that correct in your current town of Athens? Well, yes, we are. We're working with, um, that's actually a program, Was it's on Tuesday, and it's done by the Clark County School District, and they're giving it out free, free meal home kits at the one of the schools to school district workers, obviously employees and teachers, uh, everybody from top to bottom within the organization, but also the students and the families, and also service industry workers. And so you go in, you get a quart of tomato sauce, you get three pounds of pasta dried, and you get a soup, and you get some chicken stock that's homemade. And it's really implemented by the food service uh, curriculum people uh, at the schools, along with a couple of my fellow chefs around town. We in Atlanta have been doing a program where out of Empire State South, we're sponsored by a local law firm to hand out 100 meals every day, Monday or Friday this week, delivered to different uh, first responders, drop zones and medical facilities to feed people who are working so hard on fixing this. And then now Mm -hmm. our, our next stage two of that is to really get into in need communities with the same type of thing. So a pretty elaborate and healthy boxed lunch situation or boxed meal situation going out to um, YMCA's in Southeast Atlanta. Um, So that's another hundred meals a day. So we're really doing like last week, I think we did uh, 1200 meals out of Empire State South for those in need sponsored by people like the Blank Family Foundation, which is Arthur Blank who owns the the Falcons. And uh, usually NFL owners are the worst humans in the world. And we just happen to have the <laughs> best guy in the world because this guy is a bloody angel. Just he's amazing, amazing guy. Wow. Um, so he's funding this. Uh, he's he he's fun- one who's paying he for the funds, food. He funds everything uh, for the impoverished in Atlanta. He's always done it quietly. And he's funding um, half of our efforts in Atlanta right now, his family foundation. And the other half was coming from a, a local law firm up the street or a couple of our bar regulars and just wanted to help out. And wow. uh, but that's what you're seeing, man. You're seeing you're seeing good people. You're seeing people who make me tear up with the fact that there is still a human condition out there that is in this for the common good, no matter who who you are. And we've always seen it in the chef community. Chefs step up, man. Always. We always step up. We're always yep. taxed with helping everybody and we do it. We want to do it. But right now we need everybody too. But and the amount of people who've just helped me over the last few weeks in my business and who've just checked in on me out of the blue and haven't talked to me in years, just making sure I'm okay. It's like, man, that's, that's cool. That's pretty awesome. Uh, there, are, there are silver linings to this awful time that we live in, and it's uh, the power of community and being together and helping one another. It is. Hugh, uh, thank you so much. You're a businessman, you're a chef, you're an employer, you're a father, you're tending to your community. You're a real inspiration. Thank you so, so much. I'm grateful for this conversation. Well, thank you, Michael. You continue, you be safe, and you wash your hands. (laughs) You too, chef. I will, I will. So the restaurateurs have a particularly difficult dilemma. PPP loans don't really mean a lot to them because in order to use the money, restaurants, which are closed, would in effect have to hire employees to not work. Compounding this is the fact that unemployment benefits exceed what those paychecks would be. That's a simplification of the situation, but restaurant owners really have no idea when they'll be able to reopen. So they're hesitant to take loans for money they can't really use, let alone risk being held accountable for the loan if not forgiven. What they really need are actual grants. 
How to move forward given the uncertainty? I don't know. But I do know that even in isolation, we're in this together. That even in isolation, we must remain connected. And that no matter what, we need to nourish ourselves and those we live with, which today means cooking. Hugh's four books, including A Turn in the South, my books From Scratch and Romans 20, and so many cookbooks are available immediately on Kindle. The New York Times, Bon Appetit, and Food 52 have fabulous websites. There's a wealth of cooking ideas and inspirations out there. Cooking has never been more essential. Thanks for joining us. This episode of From Scratch was engineered by Hugh Atchison and Zachary Warmbrot. From Scratch is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dressler. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. The music is by Ryan Scott off his album, A Freak Grows in Brooklyn. From Scratch is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.